Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor. We got Krishna producing today, and we are talking about the state of the Cavs. Uh, we got Justin Rowan on. He's the host of the Chase Down Pod, and he is our Cavs insider. Justin, it's been a few weeks since we talked. Uh, how are you feeling about the state of the Cavs? I'm doing well. Yeah, thank thank you so much for uh, having me back. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 very excited. I, I think um, this is kind of what I was hoping for uh, after LeBron left the second time was to to build something exciting and organic. And uh, it looks like the Cavs felt confident enough in uh, the the young core that they had that they felt like they could kind of push some of the chips into the middle of the table and uh, make a real run at this thing. For anyone living under a rock, we talked a couple episodes back. Donovan Mitchell got traded over to the Cavs. They sent Laurie Marketing and Colin Sexton to the Jazz, along with three first-round picks and some pick swaps. Uh, and that has absolutely electrified the Cavs fan base. Uh, but we're gonna talk about him. We're gonna talk about everybody. Uh, let's start, you know, with with I feel like the main cornerstone of the team, Darius Garland. He had a fantastic year last year. He was fourth in our playmaking grade out of the entire league. He was 97th percentile in our three-point shooting talent. Uh, and he just I absolutely exploded last year. Tell, tell us what that looked like uh, maybe prior to this last season and then what that that blossoming sort of sort of felt like throughout the season. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my favorite metric to, to talk about Garland is uh, goods plus minus, and he's got all the goods. Uh, he, he's a, he's a really, really fun out there. I, I think uh, his rookie season um, was obviously a bit of a letdown coming off that meniscus surgery. Uh, he didn't even have training camp because there was a cleanup. And you could tell, like, he had a good feel for the game. But he was tentative uh, that he just w- wasn't as explosive. And then you look at the second year and as the year progressed, he got better and better. And it seemed like April was really the point where things kind of turned for him, where he played 15 games in April of that season. Uh, he was averaging about 21 and seven. And that was a stretch actually that was really encouraging because not only was Garland putting up great individual numbers, uh, and obviously the presence of Jared Allen and I think Kevin Love came back at that point as well helped. Uh, but Colin Sexton was putting up great numbers at that point, too. He, he was putting up like 27 points per game. And I was like, OK, Garland can be someone that gets his own numbers off and makes people better as he's doing that. And that really makes you feel good from a team building standpoint because he's so scalable where uh, you can put him with another ball handler. You can put him uh, in a situation where he needs to run a bit of a heliocentric offense. And uh, I I think those flashes that we saw over the previous year just became more and more consistent until the point where we got to this year. And he looks like the closest thing we've seen to Steve Nash. I mean, uh, after the all-star break, he's putting up uh, 25 and 10 uh, just really having a great control uh, of the offense. And I'm excited to see what happens when you put him with another dynamic ball handler, someone that is a great playmaker in his own right and, and can space the floor in a considerable way in Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Go uh, Krishna. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to say he's uh, so Garland's still super young and improving. So like what are the areas you kind of expect Garland to continue to improve on this year? Yeah, I, I think uh, cutting down on turnovers a little bit. I, I don't care too much about turnovers with young players because I'd almost rather see those guys go out, and especially when they are supposed to be a primary initiator. I'd like to see you go out and test what you can and can't get away with, right? And uh, whether it's something that, hey, if I work on my game a little bit, I, I might be able to pull this off with a, a little bit more reliability or, hey, 
this is something that I, I can't get away with and I need to cut it out from my game. So I, I don't mind uh, him at 22 years old testing what he can and can't do. But I, I think now we're going to see him cut down on the turnovers a, a little bit and uh, take better control, uh, better care of the ball. Um, I, I think that there's room for him to grow uh, with his three point rate as well. And the other thing that I'd like to see is maybe getting to the free throw line a little bit more because um, he, he's in the lane a lot and just understanding. Uh, and he showed some of this uh, towards the end of last season, but just understanding the ways that you can uh, generate those free throws and, and maybe protect yourself a little bit uh, versus the uh, acrobatic finishes and, and avoiding contact, which uh, can work for getting a bucket. But you're also putting yourself on, on the floor a little bit more than uh, you'd be comfortable with. So offensively, it, it really seems like the the sky's the limit for him. Uh, talk a little bit about the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually impressed with him defensively. I, I thought he actually uh, took a nice step forward. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a really impactful defender like uh, a Chris Paul or, or Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry. Uh, but I, I can certainly see him kind of getting to the like the Steph Curry point where I, I know Steph, Steph is a, has developed into a good defender in his own right, but just someone that understands where he needs to be, plays good positional defense, has active hands, and and just plays with intelligence on that end of the floor. I, I know uh, Garland has a comment that he, he likes playing defense more than he likes uh, playing offense, which I, I think is maybe pandering to J.B. Bickerstaff. <laughs> I, I, I look at how much fun Garland is having when he's out there playing on, on the offensive end of the court, and I find it just a little hard to believe. Um, but, you know, he, he is someone that wants to play winning basketball, that, that really um, dives into the film that – uh, wants to improve in every aspect of the game. So I, I think when it comes to he and Mitchell, uh, especially with Mobley and Allen behind them, if they can play solid positional defense, have active hands, I think that is going to be more than sufficient uh, to, to make this team work. Uh, that's a good segue to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, this was a defensive team. This was a really big team last year. Uh, they trade for Mitchell, obviously. Lori Markadon is sent over to the Jazz. And... It, what is what is going to how how is this all going to work together how is this going to fit i feel like the skill sets uh ever ever both guys can shoot at the guard positions i feel like there's definitely a way where you can get this to click in and and really go offensively how do you see that happening yeah um i i think having garland and uh, or sorry garland and mitchell out there where one of them's on the court at all times is going to be really helpful. Um, we saw the Cavs last year. Evan Mobley basically played as the backup center uh, where you would always have one of Mobley and Allen on the court at all times when both were healthy. And I think you're going to want to have the same thing on the offensive end when it comes to Garland and Mitchell. Uh, you, you look at some of the Cavs contributing players, uh, even off the bench last year, whether it's Jetty Osmond and Kevin Love, those guys played so much better when they had Ricky Rubio, when they had a backup ball handler. And I think now when you look at the team, there's a lot more ball handling and playmaking than they had last year for the majority of the season, uh, which was mostly due to injuries, let's be fair. Uh, but when you look at Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Howell Neto, Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio when he's back, um, there's a lot of guys that can create for themselves and others. So I, I think having one of Mitchell and Garland on the court at all times is really going to help this team have a more consistent offense 
whether I, I don't know if it's going to get all the way to like a top 10 offense uh, yet this season. Uh, that That's probably going to be a little dependent on how much growth Evan Mobley has, as well as guys like Isaac Okoro. Um, but I, I definitely think that this has the potential to be a, a, a really potent two way team. Uh, that's a good transition to Evan Mobley. You talked about him being able to be a versatile defender and then slide over and play backup center. I absolutely love him. The numbers love him at basketball index. I think he's a future all NBA player. I think he's going to be in the top 15 here pretty shortly. Um, I just, even just from a defensive standpoint. Uh, and I, th- I, I think the offense is, is really interesting. Uh, we had really strong passing versatility and quality for a rookie. Uh, if you look at just rookie bigs, he has the fourth best playmaking grade in our database going back to 2014. Um, and then also, I mean, his resume looked really good. He had the second best, uh, D LeBron, which is just our overall defensive impact in our database for a rookie, uh, going back to 2014. So he just really, I think lit it up on tape as well as the analytics. Uh, can you, they should, can we get the rule changes? Can you lock some up to make like a baseball deal, like a 12 year contract? <laughs> I, w- I would love that. Uh, I mean, there's a new CBA coming up. So uh, I think first First order of business has to be getting rid of the uh, designated player extension because uh, uh, we, we want to sign Mobley to, to one of those as quickly as possible. Uh, obviously uh, not possible at the moment with Garland and Mitchell on on, on contract, but, you know, team shouldn't be punished for for drafting well. The, you, you can't stop us there. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I would love to, to sign Mobley to a lifetime deal at this point. I mean, when you look at this team, the path to them being a contender at this point I think is does Evan Mobley reach his potential? Because if Evan Mobley reaches his potential and all of a sudden he is the best player on this team, I, I think that really kind of vaults you into that category of, yeah, we, we can actually go out there and contend. Because if Darius Garland and, and Donovan Mitchell in some order are your second and third best player and you have Jared Allen as your fourth, it's a really, really good team. And uh, you look at the cap space the Cavs have next summer and, and there's some interesting wing prospects uh, available uh, on the unrestricted free agency market. Uh, there, there's a lot of ways that this team can improve both internally and by taking advantage of that cap space and bringing in a free agent. So uh, it, it's a really, really exciting time to be a Cavs fan. But I, I think the growth of Evan Mobley is probably going to determine their ceiling more than any other player on the roster. If Evan Mobley hits his potential, oh. there's going to be one more traffic jam a year in Cleveland. And it's going to take place in the summer. And kids <laughs> are going to really have a fondness for parades that grew up there. Yeah, I, I think it, it's going to be something that uh, becomes an annual tradition at that point. Let, let's make it happen. Let's, <laughs> uh, you, hey, look, the, there was only two teams uh, or there's only two teams that had three all-stars and it, it's Kaz and Warriors now that they have Donovan Mitchell. So I think chapter five is coming up uh, of that rivalry. So for Mobley's offense, like what area are you looking like? What area are you, do you expect him to kind of work to improve on this year? Like this, I guess his shooting would be the kind of most obvious area. Yeah, I, I think improving the shooting would be nice. Like I, the thing I liked about him last year, uh, well, I liked a lot of things about him, but I, I, I liked his willingness to go out there and take shots. Like he would work on that 18 foot turnaround and, and kind of the uh, working out of the nail. And I, I'm interested to see most of all his playmaking, especially when you are probably going to be using him as the backup center. I think there's a, a real opportunity for him to maybe generate some offense in those situations. And I, I think 
using those minutes to develop his ability to work a, a little bit as a hub uh, really could pay some long-term dividends for this team because if Mobley's unlocking the playmaking where, okay, you're, you're getting it, the ball to him at the top of the key, he can either uh, find cutters, he, he can either blow by uh, slower defenders or, or use his length and, and kind of leverage the footwork to, to knife his way to the basket or, or hit that uh, jump shot, like, he could become so dynamic from that spot that I think it would really open up a lot offensively for this team uh, because the, the the fact that Garland, Mobley, and Allen work so well on both ends of the floor year one is encouraging because realistically, that pairing should only get better as those players get better. And Mobley and Allen wasn't supposed to work as well as it did uh, year one because neither of those guys really had an outside game and, and there wasn't great spacing around them either. So uh, if Evan Mobley works on his outside shot and is able to generate a little more spacing, I think the intelligence that both of those big men have and uh, the, the IQ that they have around them in Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell uh, could really generate a lot of opportunities. That's a good transition to Jared Allen. Um, he had a really good season uh, season ago, and I think he is really valuable because I think he's an amazing off-ball player, right? I feel like he's sort of that new uh, archetype for your non-shooting big. Uh, he was a top 10 offensive rebounder last season, 97th percentile in pick and roll uh, as the roll man in our stable points per possession. He was a great finisher. He was second in our rim shot, making him a among bigs and uh I, I just feel like he is the prototypical off ball center now because like we you know in the 90s it was like throw it into the post see what happens and mm -hmm. the nba has changed so much that it really doesn't happen uh, you know maybe Embiid, maybe like one or two guys in the league at a time can do that and i feel like jared allen's skill set offensively uh really enhances garland's game and just it makes it easier for everyone to play around him even though he doesn't provide spacing in the traditional sense yeah absolutely i, I think uh that kind of vertical spacing and what they were able to do with those two whether it's in double drags or just kind of single pick and rolls um really was impressive and i, I think jared allen the you highlight it perfectly. Like the intelligence he has off ball is a skill. I think it's an undervalued skill to recognize those passing lanes, to, to know where to be at all times and players like that. It's really easy uh, to, to build around them because the, the more talent you put around them, the better that skill is going to look. And I think it's going to be even harder to account for where Jared Allen is at all times. Uh, now that they have Donovan Mitchell in the mix, like there's two really good pick and roll ball handlers uh, that can play on and off ball. Evan Mobley, if he continues to improve on the offensive end of the court, is going to draw a lot of attention as well. So uh, if all those things are happening, I, I think Jared Allen is just going to continue to improve in the margins. And I think that's the, the biggest thing for him. I, I don't need him to add anything new to his game. Although if he wants to start knocking down corner threes like <laughs> Brooke Lopez, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but realistically, like he, he just needs to get a little bit better in the margins. And uh, I, I would like to see maybe the, the free throw shooting improve a little bit. And uh, I think there, there's room for him uh, to improve as a rebounder as well. Um, but he's so damn young. Like, I, I think people forget that he's only 24 years old because he's been in the league a while. Um, there, there's, he's not even in his prime yet. And, and that's one of the most exciting things uh, when you look at this cast team is the guys that are already known commodities and, and uh, were the biggest drivers of their success last season are all under 25 years old and, and project to get a lot better in the future. 
One thing I saw out of him that I was really impressed by was I feel like he did a great job. So normally, traditionally, it's like, are you stick your tallest guy in the dunker spot on most teams? Right. And then you will just get a certain amount of laydowns or putbacks or things of that nature by just being tall and being in that position. But I feel like he takes it to the next level because he does such a great job creating passing windows moving on the baseline right like kind of like a receiver finding a soft spot in zone and i feel like he does a great job helping to create a window for the ball handler to get him the ball and i feel like that's one of those things that like when you see that like that's something not a lot of guys have yeah i think that's a really smart observation and, and part of why they were able to make it work so well and uh, I think Garland's ability as an interior passer is some of the best in the league, and that certainly helped. Uh, but that's not a skill that's going to show up unless you have someone that can recognize those opportunities off ball and and kind of get into those areas. So uh, I, I think the tandem of Garland and Allen, both they, they both help each other look a whole lot better. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what that pairing is, is going to look like in the future. And I'm, I'm sure he's excited, too, to, to go out there and play with Donovan Mitchell because uh, Mitchell is another guy that can uh, run a pick and roll and make the kind of passes that are, are going to make him look good. All right. We've talked about the bigs. We've talked about Jared Allen. We've talked about Mobley. We've talked about the two star guards. Let's get into the weeds a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> when is uh, we'll start with this before we're going to talk about Dean Wade because he is a uh, a basketball index. I don't know. Secret star. I don't know. Whatever you call it. The numbers really like him a lot. Uh, before we get into that real quick, uh, Ricky Rubio, he's going to be coming back to Terra's ACL last year. Yeah. Uh, what's the timeline looking like for him returning? I don't know. Midway through the season. What, what will that look like? Yeah, I, I would assume like January, January, maybe February. Uh, who knows? I mean, when when you look at a, a torn ACL, like that's something uh, when, when you're on the other side, 38 can take a while to recover from. So I think when they sign the three year deal, it's with the understanding that, hey, this uh, isn't necessarily going to be for the season. But Ricky Rubio is someone that Donovan Mitchell credited for the the leaps and, and growth he made in Utah. There is Garland credited. Uh, and even if he, he's on the bench, I, I think he's going to have a positive impact uh, just being that veteran leader. But uh, obviously, it'd be really nice to have him back, uh, e- even if it takes until the trade deadline. That that would be a great trade deadline acquisition. But I think the addition of Howell Neto, that alone would have made me feel good at the backup point guard spot. So there, there's no rush for Rubio. They, they can bring him along at the right pace and, and make sure that he, he's good to go because I. Uh, a healthy Ricky Rubio, even if he's a little bit physically limited, he, he's just such an intelligent player and, and someone that fits well with Garland and and Mitchell. Uh, so I, I think uh, having him as the third guard helps you stagger those two and keep a really, really high level uh, of playmaking and intelligence on the court at all times. OK, I did not know he got a three year deal going into an offseason of a torn ACL. I like him a lot, but just from a wrist standpoint, did they get caught looking into those beautiful eyes of his when they were negotiating that contract? I mean, if they did, can you blame them? Look, look at those eyes. Look, look at those eyes and, and tell me that that's a mistake. He's got I the mean, eyelashes of a camel. I, I think the third year is uh, non-guaranteed, uh, but uh, and the, the dollar value is nice and low. So uh, I think 
Um, I, I think it, it fits under even the, the taxpayer uh, mid-level exception if they wanted to become a taxpaying team. Uh, but yeah, it, it certainly is one of those things where I think understanding that you have so many value deals on, on the books, like even Jared Allen's extension looks like a bargain in, in today's NBA. When you, you look at the signings that are out there, uh, and Darius Garland's uh, extension isn't going to kick in for a while. Uh, Evan Mobley's obviously a value deal. I think they felt that there was some flexibility that, Hey, let, let's lock up a veteran. Let's get someone that that's going to help these young guys hit their ceiling. And uh, that off court investment uh, could matter as much as the on court, if not even more. He does look good I in the promotional materials. Are, <laughs> I feel like people are coming back from ACLs better now than like say ten years ago. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that's another, you know, back for sure. where they felt a little better about giving them that that contract. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you 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 hope that he he can come along uh, and get healthy, and I think that was a big part of why they wanted to go out and get Howell Neto so that. Hey, if we're making a long-term investment in Ricky, let's make sure that we don't feel the need to kind of rush him back, right? Like we we can bring him along. And I mean, if he comes back at the trade deadline, kind of works his way into shape and, and he's healthy for the playoffs, that's going to be a real big difference maker for this team, having uh, someone that does have uh, some post ex, uh, postseason experience and, and has been around the league for a while because there's a lot of guys on this roster that that don't have that experience and that really really matters in the postseason like that's one of the reasons why uh i'm I'm not putting out landish expectations on the, this team in the playoffs because i really value uh what that experience means and i, I think you have to to fail a few times but before you get over the hump so uh having uh, ricky rubio and, and having veterans like kevin love uh, I, I think can really make a big difference in, in those settings to to give you uh, more of a puncher's chance. Dean Wade, we're getting into the uh, the back end of the bench here, right? Dean Wade had an absolutely phenomenal year from a defensive metric standpoint. He was second in D. LeBron, uh, D. LeBron among wing stoppers this past season, and I feel like. Uh, we talked a little bit about it on the Mitchell Trade podcast. Uh, obviously, Mitchell is an offensive slanted person uh, player. Garland is going to have such a big load where you you know you said he he is solid defensively, but you do need players where like their job is to come into the game and to guard opposing teams' ball handlers. And I feel like Dean Wade, especially this team has bigs, they have guards. I feel like Dean Wade is going to be a really important piece is that wing stopper as sort of that in-between guy that can defend maybe a multitude of guys out there on the perimeter. And I feel like he might be a really important glue guy in this upcoming season. What have you seen out of him and sort of his development over the last few years? Yeah, I, I mean, he's someone I, I know when we were doing our draft coverage that year and it came out that they signed him as an uh, undrafted free agent. Our, our buddy uh, Trevor Magnotti uh, from the step back was saying that if he was healthy, he probably would have been like a late first round talent. And I, I think Dean Wade has done a really good job kind of filling in that 4-3 type role. He, he's someone that can move his feet really well. Uh, he, he plays really hard on the defensive end of the court and I think back even to the the Brooklyn game um, in the regular season where Evan Mobley was out, uh, but Dean Wade did a great job on Kevin Durant. Like he he was out there bothering him. You could tell even KD was getting annoyed by it. Um, KD annoyed? I, I, I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I know he, he's he's never uh, shown that side of himself, but Dean Wade brought it out of him. Um, I, I think Dean is going to be someone that's going to be in the mix, even as a either a spot starter 
or someone that in the name of balancing out the rotation and and just kind of getting a, a low usage guy that just kind of knows his role and does the right things. Uh, I, I think that there's a real possibility that he could be the smart starting small forward for this team. Uh, I, I would probably give Isaac Okoro the nod right now. I, I know they're happy with uh, the offseason that he's having and hopeful that he can build off of what he did last season. Um, but Dean Wade, whether it's just certain matchups or if you need him to step up, he just fills in like he started almost 30 games last season and those games all went pretty well for the Cavs. And I think when people talk about the uh, late season uh, drop off that the Cavs had, the the fact that Dean Wade got hurt and, and tore his meniscus and, and was out uh, gets overlooked. But that was a that was a meaningful thing, especially when you are already down Jared Allen and out Karis Levert or, or Evan Mobley for a couple of weeks and, and Darius Garland like and of course, Ricky Rubio and Rajon Rondo and all the other guys that, that gave them the, the most injuries in the East outside of Orlando. <laughs> um, like it, it was a, a really, really tough stretch. And I, I think Dean Wade's loss uh, gets overlooked sometimes. So if we're kind of expecting Okoro to start, do you expect Dean Wade to be in the closing lineup or, or you know, who do you see closing? And uh, I guess the other thing, uh, other question regarding lineups I had was, uh, are we going to see any of Mobley at the three with like Mobley love Allen combination a bit or something? Or probably not. <laughs> I wouldn't love that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, if Evan Mobley, I, I saw the the side by sides uh, off season hype videos. They, they never lie. I saw the side by sides <laughs> of him and uh, Kevin Durant uh, comparing their shots. So if he's turning into Kevin Durant, then yeah, the, the sky's the limit. Uh, well, I would think more of a KG who came into the league and I think played small forward his first few years. Little yeah, time, but yeah, and, and KG's probably kind of the the guy that I compare Mobley to the most, right? Uh, shout out the next ticket. Um, but you know, <laughs> I I when it comes to closing, I think it's going to be a little bit matchup dependent. Like I think people forget even last year. J.B. Bickerstaff got weird with his closing lineups. Like they, in, in those first 11 games, there were two games that they closed with Garland, uh, Sexton, and Ricky Rubio. Uh, you, you got three guys all 6'2 and smaller uh, out there closing, and it worked out for them. So uh, I think it is going to be matchup dependent. It's going to be dependent on who's playing well. I mean, that's the least sexy answer, and I, I know we want to act like we understand what all the puzzle pieces look like right now, uh, but... Going into last year, I don't think even the Cavs planned on Larry Marketing being the three. Um, so it's going to come down to, to who earns at a camp, who who earns those closing minutes on a game-to-game basis, and it's probably going to be matchup dependent as well. So I, I'm going to ask a bit of a tough question here then, since you're saying it's going to be kind of matchup dependent. Um, if we're since kind I'm of- sitting on the fence, call me out. Call me <laughs> out for what it is. No, no, no. Uh, so I, I was just going to go through some of the East teams with like, you know, you have Milwaukee, like basically the top of the East teams and and ask who you think the uh, the fifth guy could be against, like, say, Philly or Milwaukee or Boston uh, or Miami. And uh, and I guess the Nets will so go with those five teams. <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably lean Isaac Okoro in most of those matchups if he takes the steps forward offensively, like he can't be ignored the same way that he was in, in the play in games and, and get into his own head. Um, I, I think what he does on the offensive end of the court is going to dictate whether or not he is in a lot of those closing lineups. And um, I, I think he's more than capable. Like you look at one of the best 
KD defenders of all time, it was Tony Allen. And, and that's because he got up into his space and uh, he's smaller and, and has the same wingspan as Okoro. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily a size thing, but um, how much progress he makes on both ends of the court is going to dictate whether he's going to be in those closing lineups or if they go to someone like Dean Wade because they know that there's a level of reliability and length at 6'9". Um, I, I guess you could theoretically even look at a Jetty Osman who played a lot better last year when he had a ball handler with him. So uh, if, if they're playing from behind and they need to make up some points, maybe they go with Jetty just because uh, of his ability to knock down those outside shots and and willingness to take those shots uh, compared to some of the other options. Or they go really weird and just go three ball handlers and have Karis Levert out there because uh, they're trying to get buckets. So we'll 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 see where they go. I think, uh, you know, a quick caveat on Tony Allen. He was first team all defense and first team all Jedi. So has he ever mentioned that? (laughs) Has he ever mentioned that? Uh, It's a special circumstance. Uh, All right. So we're going to wrap it up here for the state of the Cavs. Justin Rowan, thanks for coming on again. Uh, Again, he's the host of the Chase Down pod. And then Justin, again, sorry, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Cavs Anada. Take Anna, slap the Cavs on the front end. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, we talked about Evan Mobley's potential. We talked about Donovan Mitchell's trade, how that affects the team. Heck, we even talked about Ricky Rubio's dreamy peeper. So we really covered it A to Z here for the Cavs. Uh, for me, Taylor, uh, Krishna, the producer, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.